Mine's good. Life good! Got real close. Got hair high, right? Trying to hit two thirds. Have they saved it for her? Yes, they have! Welcome to Game of Stones, everybody. I am Sean Graham Scott, alongside, as always, hello, Scott. Sean, uh, what's happening today? Not too much. Beautiful day here in the nation's capital. We had a uh, a stormer of a storm last night uh, a real beauty i got stuck outside in it but one of those Ooh. storms that was fun to listen to yeah i was you know what i was out in the country and uh missed us uh-huh. down uh down kempville way yeah uh but uh, on my way home i saw some lightning and stuff so uh yeah fun fun times yeah came in fast and furious there around uh, summer's all about right that's right yeah those pop-up storms uh so that was kind of fun i know the rain is probably more needed elsewhere in the country and and of course we're thinking of everybody out in the west uh with the the fires and the drought going on so i hope everyone is doing well out there as uh, scott we started last week our series of episodes ranking the top players by decade started with the 1970s that one was a lot of fun we talked about how difficult it was given that there was not a women's world championship and and that kind of skewed it a little bit but this week we are into the 1980s and i gotta say this decade is loaded loaded decade sean we were going through and we were just talking before the the show started about a couple people and like how can they not be on there but you know, you stack everything up and, it, oh boy, this is a really tough, tough, tough decade. Yeah, really, really tough. Great international representation here. You got really solid Canadian players essentially to get on this list. Yeah, almost had to win two national championships in Canada, uh, win a world championship. Like you had to be at the top of your game here. Whereas in the 70s, appearances just getting there a few times was enough. But now this is about winning. It's a brass tacks. Uh, world championships is where it counts. And I got to say, in putting this together, I put a little more on the world championships. And maybe that's why the international representation is a bit more. But I, I think it's fair because even those Canadian teams who who are on this list, they are at the top of the Canadian game. And there are other teams who, yeah, they might have gone to a few Briars, a few Scotties. But this is the cream of the crop. And I don't think any of the international teams who are going to be on this list are taking away from any Canadians who just made a bunch of appearances or had some minor success domestically. So I think this is a pretty balanced list. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's a pretty good representation of the decade as a whole. All right. Well, let's get right into it. Like last week, we wanted to give a bonus 10B spot to a participant here. So... Let's lead it off. Our bonus entry is Marilyn Dart. You might know her better as Marilyn Bodo. Uh, She played under that name in the 90s. She won a bronze at the 1980 Scotties and then won the 1986 Scotties and World Championship. Otherwise, not too much of note in the decade for Marilyn Dart, but Two medals at the Scotties, a world championship. Kind of hard to leave her off the list entirely, especially because she is a pretty known name. She she did a lot in the 90s as well. But I think if we're looking at the 80s, just got to give her a bit of a shout out. 
Yeah. Yeah. A bit of a shout out for, for that. Yeah. A little more in the nineties, it was sort of more of a spatter smattering through the decades for, for old Maryland there. Uh, so not quite making the list, but we did want to give it a, a shout out. Yeah. And, and this too is the time when, during her career, eighties, nineties, where Ontario was a lot more wide open than certainly it is today. And you had a lot of teams coming through Ontario that were a couple who we might talk about here, uh, who were world championship quality teams, one of which being Julie Sutton, who actually we're not going to talk about in this episode, but that's who she's competing against provincially. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, great success to, to, to get into a Scotty's took a lot. So she doesn't have the same resume at that highest level just because it was so hard to get there. Very hard to get there. Very hard. So. Uh, yeah, no, no slight leaving her off the list, but no. uh, she's she's ten B today. Uh, Sean, why don't you take us into number ten? All right, number ten, Trin Trulson, the Norwegian skip in the nineteen eighties, made a bunch of appearances at the Euros, four medals at the Euro Championships, a silver medal in 1980 and 1983. She won bronze in 1985 and 1987. She has a world silver medal from 1989. And what I think to me is is maybe just as important, if not more important, the first time that curling was a demonstration sport at those 1988 Olympic Games in Calgary, Trin Trollson and her squad get the bronze medal. There was only three teams that made the playoffs at those Olympics, and Trin lost in the semifinal and uh, gets that bronze in, in by losing that game. You don't have that bronze where you get to win the game and be excited that you want a bronze, but still uh, an Olympic medal. So a really good resume, I think, Scott. You got a total of six medals at major international competitions through the decade. That's nothing to sneeze at. Oh, definitely not. And, uh, you know, we, we sort of forget Norwegian women's curling and how strong it was in the 80s and 90s. The likes of, of Trulsen here, Dordy Nordby, who uh, we may talk about uh, down the road. And, and nowadays, you don't see Norway on the women's side. You know, they're, they're sort of a yeah. staple in the men's side after the success they had in the 70s that we talked about last week. But it's sort of fun to look back and see just how good they are. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, another fun thing is that she is the twin sister of Paul Trulsen, who we all remember from the 2002 Winter Olympics and, uh, you know, various Continental Cups uh, as the coach. So, yeah, he's been uh, he, he's around a lot, Paul Trulsen. Yeah, always with a smile on his face, too. No question about it. Yeah. So it, it, but it is you're right. Pretty remarkable that if we think back just a couple months ago, Norway didn't have an entry. In this year's Women's World Championship, they didn't qualify. So it's, yeah, it is quite remarkable given the heights that Norway was at with someone like Trin Trulsen and, as you mentioned, Dordy Norby, that that it has kind of fallen off the map for them. And we'll we'll see what happens as we move forward, if they can develop some junior curlers to get back to that point where they're just a regular entry into the Worlds and threatening four medals. Yeah, you, you hope to see it. You hope to see it. All right, so Scott, let's uh, get down into the number nine position. Who we got there? Sean, we got this, one of the favorites of everybody is Eddie Wernick, the wrench, coming in with four Briar appearances in the 80s, 
81, 83, 84, 88. One in 1983, uh, also one in 1990. So, you know, however you count the, yeah, count that. Yeah. Who knows? He had a bronze medal at the 87 trials to go to that 88 demonstration Olympics. Three silvers on his resume at the Briar, uh, two world championships, 83 and 93. Just one of the all around characters of the game, too. I, I'll always remember Sean. He was at a bond spiel at our local club growing up, uh, and I was there helping to do the ice. And I just remember Ed Wernick was sleeping on the couch in between uh, in between <laughs> draws. Uh, I thought, huh, uh, that's Ed Wernick sleeping there. Cool, yeah, just a world champion, just hanging out. Yeah, no big deal. <laughs> yeah, you're right about his personality, and and somewhat famously at those 1987 trials, the Canadian Curling Association threatened to disqualify him if he didn't lose weight. And mm-hmm. uh, and publicly and did this publicly, and this was a public humiliation that that he took very personally. I think rightfully so. And he hated the CCA for the rest of his career. And I'd venture a guess that if you bumped into him today, he wouldn't have good things to say about curling Canada uh, in 2021. There was a, a great quote from him leading into the Turin Games in 2006, or into mm-hmm. the trials for the Turin Games. So in, in late 2005 where he was very critical of the qualification process for that trials. And he specifically pointed out Mark Dacey and said, why did he get a direct entry? And I believe this quote was something like, what the hell is he going to do there? Finish last, I guess. Like he, <laughs> he really, really does not care for the governing body. Uh, but yeah, really big personality. Uh, you know, the, the nickname really stands out. It's very memorable. Uh, as the wrench mm-hmm. and just one of those guys who great success on the ice, certainly, but I, I think the personality and that larger than lifeness that he has certainly, I think maybe outweighs his on ice performance. Yeah. Uh, I, I think so. Uh, definitely a great ambassador for the sport. Uh, not at the curling Canada level, but you know, <laughs> amongst, amongst the grassroots. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> everybody looked at him and said if he can do it i can do it that's right yes yeah and uh but not everyone can not everyone's that good no nope, that's true all right so just ahead of ed wernick we got another ed we're going with ed lukowicz he was born in spears saskatchewan but of course represented alberta part of the long long tradition of Saskatchewan curlers winning national championships for other provinces. He uh, made three Briar appearances in the decade, won the 1986 Briar silver medal in 83, won the bronze in 84. After that Briar championship in 86, he would go on to win the world championship that year. And then in 1988, he was Canada's representative at the Olympic Games in Calgary and won a bronze medal as he lost in the semifinal there. But uh, a very solid 1980s resume for Ed Lukowicz. Scott, we talked last week. Uh, I don't can't remember if it was on the show or not that he could have been somebody in the 1980s or 1970s who we talked about. So real long career there. I just put him in the 1980s as, you know, that's where the world championship is. That's that Olympic performance. So I think we got to include him here. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, uh, nonetheless, a great curling name, somebody that uh, most people across Canada will know. 
uh, for his long career, very storied career. And like you say, Sean, uh, you know, maybe, maybe he was the trendsetter in curlers from Saskatchewan winning in other provinces. Yeah. Absolutely. Much to the chagrin of, of some of our listeners. <laughs> All right, Scott, who's next? Sean, next we're going back to Ontario and we're not going to the Ontario Curling Association, but we're going to the north <laughs> to the Heather Houston rink. Now, uh, they participated as Ontario back before there was a Northern Ontario in the women's event. They won uh, the Scotties in 1988 and 89, back-to-back champions. The 89 world champion, uh, world champion uh, won the silver medal in 1988 at their first world championship. Uh, in 88, to win their first Scotties, they had to go through a tiebreaker. I think it's one of the only teams to go through a tiebreaker and win and upset the defending champ Pat Sanders in the final uh, in the world final where they got that silver they lost to Andrea Shop, uh, who may or may not be making an appearance on <laughs> one of these lists uh, and then beat uh, the aforementioned uh, Trulson in the 89 world final uh, so like I, I feel like this team really concentrated towards the end of the decade uh, for their, their world success but uh, Heather Houston was a great player for a long time from the Thunder Bay area. Yeah, no question. And and I, I think, too, this kind of brings up an interesting point to me that here we have Heather Houston going back to back, makes the playoffs in the 1990 edition of the Scotties, has great success at that event as well. But it does lead to the question of how do we necessarily judge the men versus the women domestically in terms of back-to-back championships where Heather Houston gets that entry with Team Canada. And on the men's side, we don't have Team Canada until pretty recently. So you can make an argument that it's easier for the defending champion on the women's side to repeat just because they don't have to go through the provincials. And with somebody like Heather Houston... As we talked about, Julie Sutton, uh, Marilyn Dart, uh, just to name two world champion level players in the province that you don't have to go through. So that's one of those things that it's going to be really hard, I think, as we go through the rest of the 80s and certainly through the 90s and the early aughts as to how do we try to gauge and understand back to back championships or three times in a row? Like, how do we situate? the the Colleen Jones run versus the Randy Furby run just because that additional step was there on the men's side. I don't really know. I don't frankly much care because winning the Scotties is really hard on its mm-hmm. own. So it, 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 I don't think it takes away at all. It just changes the arithmetic maybe a little bit, uh, but certainly a great three-year run for Heather Houston and her team here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, not having Northern Ontario and having to compete against all of Ontario also makes it more difficult yet. Then the returning champion goes in. So maybe that's easier. Yeah. But you know, I think it all comes out in the wash. Yeah. I think that's fair uh, for sure. And actually they, they won a medal in 1991 as well. So four straight Scotty's appearance only had to win two uh, Ontario championships. They have as many Ontario championships uh, as the two Scotties there, Scott. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty, uh, pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Heather Houston, a uh, great team, uh, super fun. And uh, we have a indirect personal connection through the, the show. Mm-hmm. I've never met Heather Houston. Though. Uh, all right, Scott, who we got up next? Up next, Sean, uh, 
Pat Ryan. Yeah. The Ryan Express coming in. Uh, four Briar appearances in the decade. Uh, one gold in 88 and 89, uh, just like the, the Houston rink did. Uh, silver in 1985. And, of course, we all know that they're the subject of the Netflix Losers show. Yes. Uh, where they that loss in 85 caused them to readjust the way that they looked at the game and really start to dedicate a little more physically to it, except for Randy Furby, uh, the, <laughs> what they needed to do to, to win. So once they were able to break through like the Houston rink again, a silver in 1988, a gold in 1989, uh, lost the Olympic trials in 87 to Ed Lukowicz. Uh, so really storied career, especially, especially there in the eighties for Pat Ryan. Yeah, and, and another figure kind of like Ed Wernick that's almost on this mythical status here in Canada when we talk about great players of the 1980s, of just of that era. That they, Again, they're the, the ideas surrounding them, the personalities there kind of outweigh a little bit of the on-ice success. Not to say that the on-ice success wasn't great because obviously it was, but just the idea of them and the image that we have built up in our collective memories is really big and grand. And certainly that Ryan express uh, holds, holds a special place in the heart of a lot of curling fans across the country. Absolutely. Absolutely. So who we got at uh, number five, Sean. All right. At number five, we are going back to the international realm and we are going with Elizabeth Hogstrom, the Swedish skip who made four European championship appearances in the 1980s, uh, winning them, uh, excuse me, four wins at the Euros in the 1980s. She won in 80, 82, 83, and 88. Also won in 76, just for good measure. Has a silver at the Euros in 1981 and is your 1981 world champion and was the runner-up in 80 and 82. So three straight finals for Hoogström there and she was the silver medalist at the 1988 olympic games losing in that gold medal match but overall very impressive performance and resume through the 1980s to have five euro medals you have three world championship medals and then an olympic medal over the course of a decade very very strong and uh, you know really over the course of the the last 40 years we haven't seen a lot of women's Swedish teams be successful, but the ones that have been successful have been very successful. And certainly mm-hmm. Elizabeth Hogstrom fits into that description. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that we haven't seen a lot of teams been being successful. We just haven't seen a lot of teams uh, yeah. out of Sweden, right? <laughs> uh, so that'll be a theme, I think, to watch going forward to, okay, which Swedish female skip is on the list for this decade, right? Because there's going to be one. Uh, they just seem to have a way of, okay, it's my turn now. We're going to dominate for 10, 12 years on to the next. So yeah, lather, uh, rinse, yeah. repeat. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Uh, great uh, tradition of uh, women's curling in Sweden. Uh, definitely continuing here with uh, Hogström. Yes. So Scott, I mentioned that 1988 Olympic final does that give us a clue as to who might be at number four? Yeah, Sean. At number four, we got Linda Moore here. Maybe a bit higher than 
than you'd think at first blush. How, but, how dare uh, you? How dare you? 1985 world champion Skip uh, winning the, the Scotties and the Worlds. That Olympic gold in 1988, as you mentioned, as the demonstration sport. And in their defense of the uh, national championship in 1986, were the runner-up uh, at the at the event, finishing 10-1 and one in the round robin, but not being able to close it out in the final. She then uh, took her role that probably the most of, most of us know her for, and that's as a TSN commentator in 1989. Yeah, and I think that kind of boosted for me is that she takes that role in 89, and she goes right from Olympic gold medal following a, a world championship uh, just a few years earlier, right into the booth. And I, I got to say, like, for as much as we talk probably more about the broadcast booth on TSN than perhaps we should or is, or is warranted. But that booth of Vic and and Linda and Ray, I, I mean, you know, we talked last week about Don Duguid and, and what the CBC broadcast did. But for mm-hmm. me, and maybe it's just a, a product of my age and growing up listening to those three, that's curling to me is the three of them on the call and Ray being a little more out there and Linda just kind of being the voice of reason oftentimes mm-hmm. uh, she she understood i think more than anyone else at the time the importance of sweeping the the strategy of sweeping the proper technique of sweeping i mean she knows the rules inside out i, I would argue better than anyone else who's ever called games like she she just knows what's going on great sense of angles uh, pace of the game so for as great as she was as a player i would argue that her greatest contributions to the sport was in the booth and that starts in 89 yeah so in in sort of the builder category right yeah uh yeah she I should would, be a two-time hall of famer builder and as player if she's not already yeah. yeah and uh i always remember sean when i was you know ju- getting into the more competitive skipping when i was a junior uh coach is always telling me like remember the control zone control yeah. the control zone which is that little area right out in front of the house. And that was a Linda Moore thing, right? That she had identified whoever's in control of that area has the best chance, uh, to, to score. So, uh, that being very important, uh, it still sticks with me to this day. Yeah. And, and certainly that we still talk about that, as you say, it's uh, just a staple and yeah, it's all, that's all Linda Moore. Just so great. And, uh, it was sad when she left the booth and I mean, Cheryl's great, but you know, it was sad when Linda had to leave. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So who's next, Sean? All right, going back to the international realm, we are going to a name that everybody might be familiar with. It's Andrea Schopp, the German skip. Of course, when she started, it was uh, skipping West Germany. Uh, Five world championship appearances in the 1980s. She won a gold in 1988, a silver in 86 and 87 bronze in 89 she went four and three at the 1988 olympic games she tied with trin trulson but lost to trulson in the round robin and therefore did not get a playoff spot with no tiebreakers at the time six euro appearances in the 1980s three gold medals in 86 87 and 89 she won a bronze in 1980 scott the 1980s started 
41 years ago. That's right. In the first deck or the first year of the 1980s, Andrea Shop won a medal at the European Championship. Andrea Shop today is 56 years old. So she was check my math, 15 <laughs> years old. Yeah. Wow. And didn't Andrea Shop win a, a gold medal at the Worlds in like 2011? I think it was 2010. Uh, we'll have to we'll have to check that. But yeah, she's won one within the, a decade ish of as we're speaking. Just an absolutely incredible career for Andrea Shop, and she's the, she's one of these people who yeah we could talk about again in the 90s or in the aughts. I, I I would argue her greatest period of sustained success is here in the 1980s, where she has this great run, three straight world finals. Kind of hard to beat that. She gets mm-hmm. back-to-back Euro championships. Just, just an incredible run for her. And this was really the early years of her career. She wasn't quite in her prime yet. Although as she gets into what most people consider your prime as a curly, doesn't find the same level of success. So just an, an incredible meteoric rise for Andrea Shop that put her on the scene for 35 years. Yeah. And, and Sean, you were right. It was 2010. It was after that Olympics. Uh, that she was able to win uh, with her team in 2010. And I, I believe she had Stella uh, on her team, Stella Weiss, Heiss, who was at the, at the time was also like 14 or 15. Right. So she was like bringing in the new, the new guard. Right. Uh, as it were, I, I don't think Stella plays anymore, but she started when she was 15. So like, why not others? And uh, yeah, just a staple. I think, uh, what did I read? 19 world championship appearances. Incredible. 28, 28 uh, Euro appearances. Yeah. Can, you, can you imagine? Yeah. She, she was there when the wall came down. She w- she was almost a decade <laughs> into her career when the wall came down and then s- is still playing. Yeah. Crazy. Incredible. Yeah, just absolutely incredible. Andrea Shop, and uh, yeah, from what I can tell, I haven't seen her at a World Seniors, but if she wanted to, I'm I'm sure she was still good enough. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, just get her playing Sherry Anderson. I take it. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, I'd watch that. Yeah. All right, Scott, who's in the runner-up spot here for the top player of the 1980s? Top player of the 1980s, Sean. Well, the runner-up. It's, the runner-up. Oh, oh yeah. Sorry, I, I was getting a bit ahead of myself. Hey, you're too excited. Mostly because I don't know how to pronounce his name. <laughs> it's Eagle Ramsfell, a Norwegian curler. Uh, did we talk about him last week, Sean? I don't believe so, no. No, but uh, we talked about Christian Sorum. But uh, seven world appearances in the 1980s, five Euro appearances, Silver at the Euros in 80, 87, 88, 89, with a bronze in 85 thrown in for good measure. World champion in 84 and 88. Bronze medal in 1983, 87, 89. Gold at those uh, 88 Olympic demonstration games. Had the tiebreaker, only went four and three, and then went on to beat Canada and then beat Switzerland uh, to get that medal. Just sort of a, you know how we think of Thomas Ulsrud as like, the Norwegian guy in the 2010s yeah. that, well, that's what Ramsfell was in the eighties. Yeah. The, the representative for Norway. 
Yeah, and two-time world champion, as, as you mentioned there, and that gold medal in 1988, just really sort of sneaky, really good. And, and a name who you don't hear a lot when you're talking about players from this era, but that's a pretty good resume. And kind of what's interesting, too, about those 88 Olympics on the, the men's side is that you have that tie break at four and three. He gets through. Andrea Schopp also went four and three didn't get through mm-hmm. uh, you know so it's one of those things where like the what if uh could have happened if there's a tiebreaker or not because i'm sure andrea shop is looking at ramsfeld winning the gold medal and be like hey i i we what wait, same what come on come on come on guys uh get it together uh, but yeah just uh an incredible run for this team and you know we we talked during the uh, world championship this year and it has been a point of discussion around the sport in canada as to whether or not the international teams who have an opportunity to go over and over again have an advantage over the Canadian teams. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. But when they go, at least for a team like Ramsfeld, they made the most of it. Mm -hmm. And Sean, he did play second in that 79 World Championship for uh, Christian Sorum and their team. So uh, add another medal to his tally, not necessarily in the 80s, but uh, yeah, what a a great uh, run. Yeah, I wonder if he keeps that on his, you know, shelf. Shelf. Uh, so, Scott, you were very excited about the number one spot. So, who is taking the mantle as the number one player of the 1980s? Well, who else could it be, Sean, but the author of the shot, Al Hackner himself. Mm-hmm. Two-time world champion, 82-85, obviously won the Briar those years. Was the runner-up in 80 and 81. That that was three straight finals from 80, 81, 82. He also appeared in the Briar in 88 and 89. Uh, not as much success as he had earlier in the decade, but was still around. And, uh, you know, everybody remembers the shot, Sean. Absolutely. It's been immortalized in curling lore. Yeah. We see it so, a lot. So uh, uh, who else could we have picked, honestly? Yeah, I agree. It's it's pretty hard to come up with anybody else here you know three straight finals at a briar in in the 80s is kind of crazy uh makes those two appearances later that yeah as you said doesn't have a lot of success there but uh just in general yeah two-time world champion here just and again and maybe it's just this era of of people like another big personality guy who is remembered for as as much as being al hackner as being a good curler if, if that makes any sense like so, you know, and, and I know the 80s is kind of tied up in this to a certain degree and you get a lot of those big personalities from that decade. But, you know, if you, if you try to match personality and then on ice success, I, I think we're good with Al Hackner here in the number one spot. I think so. I think so. All right. So let's summarize real quick our top 10 slash 11 players from the 1980s in that 10 B spot, Marilyn Dart. Number 10A, Trin Trulson, then Ed Wernick, Ed Lukowicz, Heather Houston, Pat Ryan, Elizabeth Hogstrom, Linda Moore, Andrea Schopp, Ilgen Ramschfeld, and then, of course, the great Al Hackner. Scott, how do you feel about that list? You know what? I like that list. I, I think we, we've hit, like you say, a lot of international, a lot of Canadian, not as much front end on this list yeah these are uh, all that's for sure yeah. it's it's pretty skip heavy yeah but yeah i think uh i think that's that's a solid list you know you'll take any of those curlers any day you know in your rec league 
Yeah, no, no question. So out of the 11 who we have mentioned here, seven Canadians, four international. So I don't think we're screwing too heavily internationally, given where the sport was in the 1980s. I, I think that's a pretty fair balance of, of seven Canadians to four international. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And we had the benefit of a full decade of women's world championships and the 1988 Olympics to go through. And so just to have a little more information and results of these teams playing each other. So yeah, I, I'm pretty happy with that list as well. And I learned a couple things today, Scott. So that's always a, a, an added benefit of putting these shows together. It's always a good day when you learn something, Sean. That's right. So uh, that will do it for our top players of the 1980s let us know if you agree with our list did we miss anybody do reach out let us know you can find us on social media at game of stones pod email game of stones podcast at gmail.com if we really screwed something up or if you really like the list you can let us that let us know that too but you know typically on social media people don't reach out to be nice well let's set the precedent yeah, although we have. People have actually been very nice over the past few months, I have to say. Mm-hmm. So, I agree. Yeah, maybe, maybe maybe we can be part of a new trend on social media where we we all just reach out to be nice to each other. Wouldn't that be the best world to That'd live in? Well. So uh, we do appreciate everyone who has reached out lately, uh, especially comments over the past few episodes have been pretty positive. So I do appreciate everybody for, uh, for sending in those notes. It, it is fun to get them so that will do it for this week's episode if you have not yet please do subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast do the likes ratings comments all that good stuff to help us beat the algorithms help other people find the show if you head on over to gameofstonespod.com you can find all of our past episodes there as well as the merch under the merch tab conveniently with all the proceeds from the t-shirts going to food banks canada the proceeds from everything else going to the sandra schmerler foundation And we are matching all of those proceeds. It is the end of the month here. So I will be going through and making that donation at some point this week. So if you want to get in before I I do that, do head on over to GameOfStonesPod.com. On social media, as I said, Game of Stones, at Game of Stones Pod. You can find Scott at ScottLikesTV. And I am at the Sean Graham. So we will be back with you next week. Scott, what are you looking forward to? over the next week because the Olympics are in full swing. Anything standing out so far from Tokyo? Well, I mean, other than Devin Haru's seven uh, eleven obsession, uh, it's been fun. I've, I really like watching swimming. I think it's pretty, uh, pretty fun. And you're kind of like, go, go, ah, go fast <laughs> ah, uh, when you're rooting on. So I'm looking forward to that. And uh, yeah, I should be able to watch a bit more now that I'm getting up at a reasonable hour. So right. I should be able to watch a little bit in the morning and a little bit before bed. Always good. Yeah. The the swimming has been pretty exciting. I can totally relate to Devin Haru's love of 7-Eleven when I was in Beijing. Most of what I ate was from the 7-Eleven around the corner. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a true lifesaver there for me. So uh, yeah, I can relate. <laughs> and I like, I, I do enjoy, I don't typically like sports that are judged, but I really like the CBC color commentator on the diving Mm -hmm. i think her name's Blythe. i I don't know that for sure Uh, but she is so good because they do the dive i don't really see anything 
And she's like, oh, over-rotated. Like, what? (laughs) Or, oh, didn't quite get that rip entry. What? How did you? Or, oh, they came out early. How can you see this? It's incredible to me. And then they show it in super slow motion replay. And I can kind of barely maybe see it. And she gets it in real time. It's incredible. That's my favorite part of the diving. That it is. That yeah. it, that is pretty incredible. Yeah. So uh, so enjoy the Olympics out there, everybody. Uh, we will be back with you next Tuesday for another new episode. But until then, keep those brooms on the ice and don't dump that intern. Make the final.